Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome into the show, everybody. I'm Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. And uh, we are smack dab in the middle of bowl season. So here we go. Now, as you can tell, not in the normal digs here. We are in San Diego recording this from the hotel as I get ready to call the Holiday Bowl a little bit later. Uh, this will actually come out. You're going to be hearing this. Holiday Bowl happened last night, but uh, obviously recorded this yesterday here in, in the hotel here in San Diego as we get ready for Oregon and uh, North Carolina in that game. Hopefully it's a great one and I'm still really tired and sleeping in when you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, here we go. The, this this episode is going to be all about the New Year's Six games. Okay, so I've got the four New Year's Six games that are not obviously in the playoff. Um, programming note, tomorrow it will be the full playoff preview episode, including my picks in both of those games. Uh, so that's coming up tomorrow on Friday. Uh, but let's get into this. All right, let's start with the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl, number six, Tennessee versus number seven, Clemson. So Tennessee and Clemson, here we go. Um, and somewhere Shane Beamer is smiling down, thinking to himself, like, I put you both in this game. <laughs> um I can't see this game without thinking about Spencer Rattler and South Carolina and Shane Beamer and beating both of these teams. And these teams were coming down the stretch and Tennessee clearly had a playoff avenue. Um, they went out, they were going to be in the college football playoff, save for that really poor performance against South Carolina. Uh, Clemson, you could argue, would have been in the conversation as well for a playoff spot had they not lost to South Carolina before winning the ACC over North Carolina. Okay, so that's where I start. Now let's get into these two teams, okay? Because I think that there's there's a, a, a really big difference between both of these teams and how their fan base feels about their seasons and the trajectory of where they're going from here. So first and foremost, and you've heard me talk about this a little bit in, in previous episodes, but bowl games can really act as like a culmination of the end of a great era for your program or a springboard into the future and really the first game of the start of into spring football and into the next season. And that's where I feel like these two teams are different, wildly different. Let me start with Clemson. In Clemson's perspective, this has been a really disappointing year that is starting to trend up at the end, even with the loss to South Carolina and the trend up is really about the fact that they get that 11th win, ACC title, and they make the switch at quarterback. And there's been a lot of people, including myself, that thought that they were going to do this a lot earlier. 
But DJ Uyongalele, you know, gets pulled um, from that champ game and Cade Klubnik goes in there and they become a better team. And I thought, by the way, we talked about this all the way back. Remember the first game of the year for Clemson and they were facing Georgia Tech and Klubnik gets into the game because DJ wasn't playing that great. And they, they were, you know, stagnating, if you will, on offense. And we said to ourselves at that time, like, hey, is Klubnik the better option? I thought he probably should have been given this opportunity a little bit earlier, but he didn't. It happened late, but now there's a lot of optimism moving forward. So in a Clemson, if I'm a Clemson fan, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're one of the very few teams in the country that winning our conference and 11 games is still a disappointing year, and yet I've got this this entity, this quarterback in Cade Klubnik that's making me very excited for what we could be in the future. He could be returning us to be a legitimate national championship threat in the future. And if he plays well against Tennessee, then that's going to just continue uh, to move upward, that trajectory and that sentiment, that positivity for Clemson. So disappointing year, trending up at the end. Now let's look at Tennessee. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I would say that this was a wildly successful season, right? I mean, if you would have told a, a Tennessee fan that they would have done what they did during the regular season, including that epic win over Alabama at home, they would have been like, yes, sign me up. I'm in. And yet, because of the way it ended with South Carolina, not even the Georgia loss, the South Carolina loss. You lose Hendon Hooker to the in injury, which reminds you this is the end of an era. You're losing the wide receivers, you know, Hy Hyatt, Tillman, these guys. And you think to yourself, like, well, what are we going to be moving forward? So there was this great breakthrough and a wildly successful season. And then now at the end, it's kind of like, uh, what does this all mean for the future? So two totally different sentiments from fan bases here. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm disappointed at the end after a wildly successful season. If I'm a Clemson fan, I was disappointed all year long. We weren't good enough. And now I've got some serious optimism moving forward, in particular because of the quarterback position, which leads me to the quarterback battle. This is a really interesting matchup because of the club neck Joe Milton battle. Okay, so... I think Cade Klubnik is a really good player. Joe Milton, we've seen play now at Michigan. He's had time at Tennessee, so we kind of know what he is. So how is this all going to play out in this specific game? Well, for Tennessee, and I've said this before, and everyone just tried to be like, oh, you know, don't worry. It's just statistics. Like, that's not really a thing. Their pass defense is not good enough. All right? And that came back to haunt them against Spencer Rattler and South Carolina. And guess what? Klubnik is a guy, maybe he doesn't have the Rattler ability, but maybe he does. Remember, he comes into that game against North Carolina, and he ended up going 20-24. They were really dynamic throwing the football for the first time really all season. And now they're going to be facing Tennessee's passing defense, which is not good enough. I've been saying that all year long, and everyone's been trying to say, like, no, nah, don't worry about that. That doesn't really mean anything. 127th in the country is just not good enough. Okay, so Klubnik and Clemson have the clear advantage. In terms of that, when you look at the other side for Tennessee, Joe Milton is a guy that we've seen, as I've said, we've we've seen him at Michigan. We've seen him at Tennessee. This guy is the nuclear of college football. He has got 
as good of an arm as I've ever seen. Trust me, I've seen, you know, I've sat down there on the field in pregame when he was at Michigan and just watched him throw. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's totally different than almost any anybody else that I've ever seen. Uh, Josh Allen reminded me of that when I saw him throw in person for the first time. Drew Aller, the young quarterback at Penn State, uh, he's got an arm kind of like that. Um, there's there's not many that I've actually like seen witnessed in person that that make me just my eyebrows raise and I'm like, oh dear, like that that looks different. That's Joe Milton. The problem is is that he is the nuke Lelouch of college football in that he might hit the bull. Right. I mean, those of you, by the way, that don't understand this reference that I'm giving one, you're far too young Two, watch Bull Durham because Bull Durham is an awesome movie. And Nuke Lelouch, Evie Calvin, Nuke Lelouch hits the bull with a fastball. Right. So like this guy has as a thunderbolt for an arm and I just don't know about his accuracy. So what does that mean for the game? Well, if I'm the play caller, if I'm coaching Joe Milton, I think it's incumbent on me as the coach, to work in easy throws early to try to get his confidence where it needs to be. Okay, so I'm talking about little screens on the outside, things that he doesn't have to think or read something down the field. I'm not going to try to make him make that that secondary read down the field that they're so famous for, that wide receiver read route, that two-man read route. I'm not going to make him do that early. I'm going to try to get him some confidence early, seeing the ball completed, and then once that confidence starts to bleed into the rhythm of his his game, now I'm going to push the ball down the field. But if they just try to push the ball down the field right away, I just I don't love it. I think Clemson uh, is is too what's the word eclectic on defense, right? They'll give you so many different looks. They'll drop eight in coverage. They'll blitz everybody. They're changing things up all the time. And that can be difficult on Joe Milton. So get him easy wins early. Um, and that could be difficult. Obviously, Jalen Hyatt out, Cedric Tillman out. It's going to be a different wide receiver group moving forward. They've got the true freshman that they're very excited about next season. It's a wait and see for Tennessee for me in this game and for next season. Whereas for Clemson, it seems like they've got the quarterback and the trajectory where this could be the jumping off point to another playoff run, another national championship style run next year. So in this game, Clemson is favored by five and a half and I like Clemson. Okay. Club Nick against that passing defense is why I like Clemson. I like Clemson. Give the five and a half. The Tigers win the Orange Bowl. All right, next up, let's go down to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl, number five, Alabama versus number nine, Kansas State. This is the, it's not even the Sugar Bowl for me anymore. It's the no opt-out bowl. It's like the throwback bowl. Here we go, Alabama and Kansas State. And I love it. I love the fact that all these guys are playing. I love that Bryce Young is playing. Um, Will Anderson. I love it. You know, there's if if you indulge me on a bit of a tangent. One of the reasons why I still love bowl games and I still think that there is a place for bowl games even outside of an expanded playoff is really fourfold. But but the main one I'm I'm, I'm going to talk about here is like if you grow up loving football and loving to compete, then play. <laughs> then play. Now I I'm not going to begrudge anybody the the decision to opt out. In particular, if if that's going to 
make your future better. Like by all means, I'm not su- suggesting that you're a bad teammate or, or anything like that, but for the overwhelming majority of people that aren't in that position to make a decision about their future in the NFL, more football is great. Like sign me up. I'm 40. I'd love to go play one more game. I would probably break in about two snaps, but sign me up. You know, there's the development aspect. That's another one. There's the reward aspect. And then there's the experience aspect of bowls. So I love bowls. And I love the fact that Bryce Young and Will Anderson and all these guys from Bama are playing. Now, these two teams could not be more different. Okay. And and similarly, although a, a little bit different than, than the Orange Bowl, think about, I just want you to kind of wrap your mind around the, the these two schools, these two programs, and what a win might win might mean, excuse me, for each of them. Alabama. Let's start with them. I, I it's easily safe to say this is the most disappointing season in the Nick Saban era. Now, there have been worse eras. We got the motion lights. Don't worry. You know, we got hotel meeting rooms here, folks. There have been worse seasons. But this is the most disappointing season. Why is that, Joel? Well, you had the incumbent Heisman Trophy winner back. You had the best defender in college football back. They were the biggest favorite preseason for a national title since the Reggie Bush USC teams. So we all thought this was going to be an epic, great year for Alabama, and it fell woefully short of that. They're not even in the playoff. And no win in a bowl game is going to change that. So think about this. They're in New Orleans. Their big guns are playing. And even if they win, it cannot change the fact that this is the most disappointing season in the Nick Saban era for Alabama. And that's not a knock. I'm not trying to, like, you know, knock Alabama. They'll be back. They'll be fine in the future. Look at the way that they've recruited. You know, last week in in, in the early signing day, in transfer port, like, they're going to be fine. And I've continued to say that. This is not the end of an era. This is, But this season, singularly, is the most disappointing season in the Saban era based on the expectations coming into the season. And no win in the Sugar Bowl is going to change that. All right. Meanwhile. Kansas State is the exact opposite. They win the Big 12. This is a team that many of us didn't think was going to ever be in that position. They've overachieved. They win the Big 12, epic game against TCU. Now they're sitting there in a win over Alabama with Nick Saban as their head coach, with Bryce Young as, as a guy that has a Heisman Trophy on his mantle, with Will Anderson, the best defensive player, um, you know, in, in America, in the Sugar Bowl, like a win in this game makes this one of the three best seasons in their school's history. <laughs> so you see, like, the totally divergent path that we've got and sentiment that we've got for each of these teams for the Sugar Bowl. And it, it actually makes it like really great. And that's, by the way, why I love the fact that there's no opt-outs because the fact that there's no opt-outs, like I, I'm not going to have any time. I'm not going to have any mental capacity 
if Kansas State were to win, I do not want to hear like, well, Alabama didn't have any motivation. Listen, these guys made a big to-do about the fact that they were going to play and they want to play and they want to go finish finish it out the right way. And I'm not saying Alabama fans, but SEC fans in general, we've seen when when Georgia loses to Texas in the Sugar Bowl or when Alabama lost to Utah in the Sugar Bowl or when they lost to Trevor Knight's Oklahoma team in the Sugar Bowl. There's always this this notion that it's like, well, it didn't mean anything for the SEC and we only play when it means something like I'm not here for that. I think that's a stupid take. And so in this game, like, I don't want to hear it if Kansas State wins, in particular because we've had all of this discussion now about these guys playing, they're taking it serious. I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen. So what do I think is going to happen in the game? Well, let's talk about these teams and let's talk about this matchup. Do we think that Kansas State can do this, right? Like, are they scrappy enough? Are they good enough on the line of scrimmage? Can Deuce Vaughn get loose? Will Howard? What is it like? Do I think Kansas State can go in there and beat an Alabama team that really played below their standards this year? Well, no, I don't. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't. I really love Kansas State, but this Alabama team is a lot better than than they are. And as disappointing as the season has been for Alabama, if you pull back and you just look at the other side of the coin, why has it been a disappointment? Well, a lot of close games. They weren't good enough at, at, at wide receiver, and they lost a couple that they shouldn't, and they didn't even win their division. Okay? They lost two games, and those two games happened to be in unreal environments, Tennessee and LSU, and on the last play of the game, Tennessee had to hit a knuckle puck kick in order to beat them, and LSU has to have their outlier game and have a two-point conversion at the end of the game in order to win. So it's like, Bama's going to win. I I believe that. Like Kansas State also is weak in the one area that I feel like you cannot struggle against Alabama, and that's in protecting the quarterback. Kansas State's 119th in the country in terms of pressure rate given up. Okay, so... With Will Anderson on the field, I'm sorry, like that that doesn't compute for me. Uh, they also struggle with quarterbacks that can create, right? We've seen that with a guy like Max Duggan. We've seen them struggle with really dynamic running backs when B. John Robinson got loose uh, and had that great game against them earlier in the year. Jameer Gibbs, you know, if he's on the field, I. Those are elements that just clearly favor Alabama. They're the better team. They're favored by six and a half. I'm taking Alabama. I'm giving the six and a half. And I think that the Tide win the Sugar Bowl. It's not going to mean anything to them. It's still going to be a disappointment. But those guys came back, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, or I guess chose to play for a reason. They want to finish it the right way. They want to end on a high note. And I think that they're going to do that. So I'm going to take Alabama. I'm giving the six and a half tied win the Sugar Bowl. All right, next up, let's go to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl, number eight, Utah versus number 11, Penn State. All right, so Utah is favored by two and a half. And if we look at these two teams, um, we look at these two teams and, and we start to to see kind of do, two different mentalities if you will let's start with Penn State Penn State had a year in which they did not feel like they were going to find themselves in the Rose Bowl it wasn't until really late in the year really until South Carolina beat Tennessee that there was a path for the Big Ten to get two teams into the playoff until that moment Penn State you know they were 
where were they going to go? I, I, I mean, who, who knows? Like their bowl tie-in. It wasn't going to be the Rose Bowl. And, you know, they were going to go down to the Citrus Bowl or, or something along those lines. And that's where they were headed. They had played really well outside of two games where they lose at home to Ohio State and they got really handled by Michigan on the road in Ann Arbor. And yet, when you look at them, it's like they played really well outside of that. We were at their first game. Gus and I were at their first game. They give up 31, end up beating Purdue on the road. Ends up being a lot better victory than we all thought. Purdue ends up winning the west side of that conference. Then they didn't give up over 17 points the rest of the year outside of those two games against teams that are in the playoff, Ohio State and Michigan. So this team got a lot better. Their defense was very stout. And here's the best part if I'm a Penn State fan, the future is even brighter because I thought the best part of their team was their young players. You know, outside of Joey Porter, who's not going to play in this game, Parker Washington, their wide receiver, he's not going to play in this game either. But the best part of their team was the young players. Their recruiting class last year came in and they were impactful right away. Namely, those two running backs, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, um, Abdul Carter, the linebacker. He's a very good player, a guy I'm excited about for the future. And the guy that, while he wasn't a starter, there's a lot of excitement about what he can be in the future, and that's Drew Aller, their, their quarterback. So this is a team that, that didn't think they were going to find themselves in the Rose Bowl. They're in the Rose Bowl, and they feel really good about where they're headed, the trajectory of their program. Now you look at Utah. In Utah, for me, it's not even about this specific season. It's actually about what they've been building for now better, I mean, over a decade when you really think about it. Okay, so 2010, they're in the Mountain West Conference. Um, they fight, they scratch, they get included by Larry Scott to come over in the expansion. Colorado and Utah join the Pac-12. Well, ever since then, there's been this slow build, this, this building process in which Kyle Whittingham has built Utah into what is now back-to-back Pac-12 champions. And the last rung on the ladder of like climbing and building would be to win the Rose Bowl, right? We saw them get themselves to a point where they could be a 500 team and then go to a bowl within the Pac-12 and then win their division and represent their division in the the championship game. Then they finally won the championship game. Now they've done it in back-to-back years. Their next step is winning the Rose Bowl. And if you asked any Utah fan in 2009 or 2010, like, hey, in 2022, you're going to be back-to-back Pac-12 champs. You're moving conferences, by the way. And you're going to win the Rose Bowl. They would take it. So this, to me, is not a culmination of a season. It's not the fact that this season, based on where they started, was a bit of a disappointment and they lost a couple of games that they shouldn't. No, no, no. This is more this, this is more the, the overarching program building that Kyle Whittingham has done. And it's like, can you cap it off with that moment where you win a Rose Bowl? That would be really impactful for recruiting and for the overarching narrative of Utah football. Then they can start setting their sights on like, let's get to a playoff. That's then the next step. Okay, so I do think that that's a that's a, a fascinating conversation and and why I think Kyle Whittingham is is such a good coach. Okay, so now let's look at like the actual game, the actual matchup. Why is Utah favored by two and a half? Well, I actually think it's because of their defense. So let's first look at Penn State. Penn State, how do they win? Well, when Penn State is playing well, 
they generally are leaning on their run game and those two young running backs. You see, I like Sean Clifford, and I'm happy for him that he gets this opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl. But when Penn State just says, like, okay, Sean, it's on you. Like, you need to go out there and win the game. They're not at their best. We saw that a year ago. They needed to improve their run game to help him out. They did that, and they've had a really successful season because of that. Okay, so you've got to run the football if you're Penn State. In fact, here's in the 10 wins that they had, they averaged 40 carries, attempts, running the football a game. In the two losses against Michigan and Ohio State, they ran it 27 times a game. I get it. The nature of the games, you're behind. You've got to throw the football. I get that. I understand. But it just goes to show you the terms of the game have to be played in their run game with those young guys getting the touches. And when they do that, they're pretty good. It's tough to do that against Utah. It's really tough to do that against Utah. I don't think Utah's defense gets the credit that it should for being one of the best units in the country. They're the best defense in the Pac-12. No one wants to talk about like how good they are, but they're they're number one in the Pac-12 in total defense, scoring defense, rushing defense. And when you look up, you look up and in their last four games, they've held their opponents to 1.9 yards per carry. That includes, by the way, USC, who had run it for over four and a half per game in every game this season, then in the championship game, two yards per carry. That includes Oregon. There was a heavy run team and a real identity of, of toughness and imposing your will. They want to run the football. What did they do? They ran it for 59 yards. Granted, Oregon won that game, but Utah's defense, again, is very good. They're going to force this game onto Sean Clifford, and that's not really where Penn State wants to be. It would remind me a lot of like the Michigan-Penn State matchup in, in a lot of regards. And on the flip side, While Penn State's defense is very good, like I said, they've only given up 17 points three times, more than 17 points three times, Purdue in a win, and then the two losses against the two playoff teams. And yet, Utah, to me, is a team that can be balanced, and when Cam Rising is playing well, just makes them a really dynamic team. So Jaquindon Jackson is a guy I really like at running back. In his last couple of games, 23 carries, 222 yards, and five touchdowns. And then you've got Cam Rising. I understand that Utah's not going to have Clark Phillips or Dalton Kincaid, uh, Davion Thomas. I know that, that you know, but again, Jackson is a really good player. I, I like Utah a lot, but, but Penn State's playing with house money. See, Utah really wants to win this game. They're going to feel the pressure of what happened last year against Ohio State. And when you look at Penn State's defense, they're so much better than people realize. Okay, In the last half of the year, again, only Michigan and Ohio State were able to do really anything offensively against Penn State. So I'm going with James Franklin, the young Nittany Lions. They're favored, or excuse me, they're dogs by two and a half. Give me the two and a half, and I'm taking Penn State. And you talk about a springboard into next year. I think that they can springboard and really have a huge year next year with that core of young players there uh, for Penn State. All right, last last one. Let's talk about the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl, number 10, USC versus number 16, Tulane. Okay, so <clears throat> USC is favored by one and a half. Does that shock you? That shocks me. We've done this before on this podcast. It's like, hold on a second. USC's only favored by one and a half? 
Doesn't make much sense. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about this game. <clears throat> what is USC? USC is built on two truths. Well, maybe not even truths. Just like two pillars. The two pillars of USC's success are, number one, Caleb Williams. And that's almost like the only pillar you need because he's that dynamic, okay? When he's healthy and running around, it's a sight to see. There's a reason he won the Heisman Trophy. This guy is dynamic. He's hard to stop. He's such a threat when he breaks the pocket, more so because he's so accurate throwing the ball on the run. Their offense just goes to a totally different gear, even with Jordan Addison not playing. Like I'm, like we've seen that a couple of times during the course of the year. They were fine, right? They, they run the ball well, although not with a couple of these offensive linemen that are out. But I'm going to stay with, if Caleb Williams is healthy, like that's a pillar. He's dynamic. And then the other pillar to their game is really playing from the lead. Okay, so when they can do that, what ends up happening is, is that the opposition becomes one-dimensional offensively. That helps USC out tremendously because they are allergic to tackling. They can't do it. They can't do it. So what do they rely on? They rely on the fact that when they can make you one-dimensional, that's when their pass rush can get a little bit of, of movement. They can create some pressure on the quarterback, and then they can get turnovers. When you have to play one-dimensional and a little bit wild or out of character – the ball is going to be put in precarious spots, and then that's when they get on that plus side of the turnover margin. That's their MO. Great quarterback, turnover margin. That's how they win. When you take away those two things, they're not great. That's why they're only favored by one and a half in this game is because, for me, I've got questions about whether Caleb Williams is even going to be healthy. I know I'm not fast, but I've had like soft tissue. like I've strained a calf before. I've strained a hamstring before. It looked awful in that Pac-12 championship game. That game was not that long ago. I just don't I, – I can't fathom turning on the television and being like, oh, yeah, Caleb Williams is totally healthy. I just don't believe that that's the case. And if he's not totally healthy, they're a far different team. We saw that in really the back half of that Pac-12 championship game against Utah. They couldn't do anything offensively because he couldn't run around. Do we really think he's totally healthy? And by the way, if he's limping at all, if there's in any remnant of that injury, he's out of the game. There's no way I'm going to threaten re-injuring that hamstring, doing some more damage to that hamstring when he's clearly the best player in college football. Like this, this guy is so good. I can't remember a time in which I felt this good about a guy potentially repeating as the Heisman winner ever. Even with Bryce Young coming back, I know Bryce Young was really, really good, but you know he was going to share votes with Jameer Gibbs as he transferred in, and there was that like, there's nobody else that's as dynamic as Caleb Williams. He may or may not win the Heisman Trophy again, but he's clearly the most dynamic player and will be again next year. So if there's any hitch in his giddy up, there's no way he's playing in this game. There's no way that he's playing. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I see one limp, I'm like, all right. Thanks a lot. Why don't you come put a headset on and you can help me call plays? Um, that's the way I would be thinking. Meanwhile, they're going to be without a couple of their really good offensive linemen. Nealon and Voorhees, they're out. And when they when they were out in that Pac-12 championship game, their run game diminished demonstrably. Uh, 2.07 yards per carry, only 56 yards, no touchdowns. Now, granted, Utah's a top 20 rush defense, but they couldn't run the ball. 
And without that, they couldn't do much offensively. Then they couldn't play from the lead. And then they couldn't tackle. And it's like, oh, all these like warts on the USC team are becoming much more recognizable because of the fact that Caleb Williams isn't out there to just mask everything with his brilliance. So then you look at Tulane and it's like, hey, Tulane's pretty damn good. They beat UCF. They beat Kansas State uh, in Manhattan. This is a team that Tajay Spears, their running back, is a really good player. He breaks a lot of tackles, seven 100-yard games, uh, seven straight 100-yard games in this season. When I watch him, he makes people miss. And a guy that makes people miss going against the USC defense who's literally allergic to tackling, like that's a bad matchup. So the fact that like you, I don't know if Caleb Williams is totally healthy, that's why this game is one and a half. And when you view it through that lens, then it makes some sense. Now, the fact that it hasn't just been reported like, hey, he's definitely out or like I, I do think that he's going to play. I think that he's probably healthy or else we would have heard more about it. Um, if he's not, they'll be in some trouble, but I can't, I can't sit here in good conscience and just say like, yeah, I'm going to take Tulane in this game. USC should be better. Uh, they should be better next year. Lincoln Riley has said and said now publicly, this will be the worst talent that he ever has at USC better days clearly ahead. And, and obviously they'll be looking for a playoff berth here in coming years. So USC is favored by one and a half. I'm going to take USC. I'm going to give the one and a half. And uh, I think that the Trojans win the Cotton Bowl. So if you're keeping track on our four games, if you want a clap parlay, here we go. Clemson, I like Clemson, five and a half. Bama, six and a half. USC, one and a half. And then give me the two and a half for Penn State in the Rose Bowl. There's your clap parlay. Okay, coming up tomorrow, we'll have another episode. I've got the playoff preview coming up. Michigan TCU, Ohio State, Georgia. My picks, that'll be on Friday. And then next week, we'll come back and we'll uh, we'll talk about what we saw in uh, over the weekend in the playoff. And we'll talk about the Rose Bowl and, and some of the other things next week on the podcast. Can't thank you enough for being a part of this podcast. I hope you had a great Christmas and enjoy the games here as we move forward with the new year six you can follow me on social media on on twitter at joel clatt you can follow the show at joel clatt show on all the social medias um and remember rate review us subscribe and come back and join us tomorrow as we'll have the cfp preview